Welcome to the Emmanuel Baptist Church Podcast. We pray that the sermon you're about to hear would be useful as you grow in your love for God and your love for His church. Now, here's today's sermon. Turn to the book of Matthew, if you would, and more specifically to chapter 5. And I'll give one disclaimer for families with young children. Today has content about adult topics. And uh, so if you're keeping your children in service, uh, which I'm not dissuading, I think that's great. Be ready, though, to maybe explain a few words that I might use. Uh, do some follow-up discussion on the car ride home when they ask, what was that? Um, I think that's good. It's an opportunity for you to do parental discipleship. So, um, but if, the, if they're age-appropriate, you can send them to children's church or nursery as well, um, if that would be better. Currently, we've been looking at the six times which Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard it said, but I say. He says that six different times. Last time that we were in Matthew chapter 5, we looked at the first one. You've heard it said, do not murder. But I say anyone who is angry with his brother is liable for judgment. And when... When we go through all six of these, I want you to really remember, this is so hugely important, that Jesus is not abolishing the former law. He's not changing the former law. Verse 17 says that very clearly. He did not come to abolish. Murder is still bad. He's only getting to the heart behind the physical sin. He just doesn't want us to stop there and just not murder. He says also, though, Really, it's about your heart, hating your brother in the first place. So today, we're going to look at the act of adultery and how it's rooted in a heart issue of lust. This is what God's Word says, Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. Today, we are inundated, absolutely bombarded with a sex-crazed culture. I mean, you could go anywhere and there's pornographic content, not almost, not pre-pornographic, but genuinely pornographic content. TikTok, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Reddit. It's in movies, it's on billboards, it's in novels. Contraceptives are handed out in high schools. And I'm not really just making a point that so much to say that we should or shouldn't do that. I'm just saying it's a sad reality that we would have to. Please note, that's not always been how it, that's not how it's always been. But so it has gone with our culture. Most swimsuits contain less material than a dish rag. And you're shamed if you have a problem with that, Right? And maybe you're thinking, why do we need to address this topic with 
such specificity? Why do you have to be so detailed, so graphic? First, I would say just wait. But second, it's because these things are real life. Okay? And in the past, I'll say candidly, the church has been very bad, has largely dropped the ball at confronting uncomfortable and taboo topics, sex being the top of the list. This has led to young people not knowing what to do about sexual temptation and urges. They don't know how to be sexually holy. They fall into sexual sin. And then their lack of strategical defenses from sexual sin carries into their marriage. Infidelity occurs. Marriages fail. Families are destroyed. And all of this traces back to the church. Refusing to be real and talking about a very real topic. Shaming and saying don't do it doesn't cut it here. I'm resolved to not play a part in continuing that problem. The evil world is speaking. Plainly. Unfiltered about sex. More, they are discipling young people on how they ought to embrace it. Church, we need to get in the fight. And we do that with and through the word of God. We can't be timid, we can't be shy, can't get embarrassed and rosy cheeked to so just say, ah, let's just move on. Let's just hit it head on with the word of God and through the word of God. And so as we look at this, these verses here, we're going to get real. Um, for my outliners out there taking notes, I've got three S words to outline this text. And no, one of them is not sex. Believe it or not. Three S words to walk through this text. The first one is sin. Sin. Adultery is an act of rebellion against God. Sin. Verse 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Let's stop there and just talk about the sin that is adultery. And what, what is it? And Jesus is talking to people with an Old Testament framework of mind. And so let's get in their heads a little bit and ask, what is adultery? Because they were told and we're told not to do it. Well, adultery <clears throat> is a, specifically a married person, a married person specifically, being sexually involved with a person who is not their spouse, okay? That in its technical form is adultery. Now, there are many other sexual sins that you can commit, a lot of them, but those aren't adultery if they're not that, being a, a married person, having sexual relations with somebody who's not their spouse. That specifically is adultery, and Jesus is saying, really, it's quoting the Old Testament, thou shalt not do it. Now, we have to ask, why? Obviously, because, G because God said so. But more, why is this such a big deal? That's the question the culture is asking. Maybe that's a question what you're asking. Why is this such a big deal? I mean, look around. It's so prevalent, right? And that's true. Many people think that it isn't a big deal. 
saying things, maybe just boldly saying, we weren't meant to be monogamous. Have you heard that before? It's not human nature to be monogamous. I mean, just look at guys. They're animals. Have you heard this? It's unnatural to stay with one person your whole life? That's ridiculous. Maybe you've heard somebody be so bold that way. Or maybe it's a little more veneered and covered and more timid and sidestepping that boldness. Maybe saying something more like, well, we just grew apart. Right? We just haven't connected in a really, it's been a long time since we've connected. It's just not meant to be, I guess. And so-and-so just gets me. They, they laugh with me. They, it's, it's, it's so easy to talk with them. It takes no effort. Maybe you've heard that one before. And that creeps into somebody's mind. Maybe it's normal and maybe it's right to find a new partner. We have to deal with this. Let me give you three, and they're not the only three, but they are three reasons why God is so clear on this commandment, why he takes the sin of marital unfaithfulness so seriously. First, is adultery disregards God's authority over his own creation. God made you. God made me. He is our creator, and he has the right to tell us, stand on our heads, and we are obliged to obey. Let us not forget, he's the potter, we're the clay. And so to do what we want in opposition to his word is to disregard his authority over his creation. But not only did he create us, one further, he created marriage. And so if we enter into that, that's his property. We're on his territory. So we must sign off on his terms of agreement. He says, this shall not be broken, this covenant. So first, adultery just disregards God's authority over his creation, us and marriage itself. Secondly, adultery mars the symbol that God uses so frequently to show us his faithfulness to us. It might be more than any other symbol that he uses throughout his word to analogize, to demonstrate how he's faithful to us. He describes it in marriage. Have you ever read the book of Hosea? You go into the New Testament, it's used all over Paul's epistles. It's all over. God uses marriage, marital faithfulness to depict his committed love for us. So what do we do when we break that image? When we distort and mar that symbol? When you step outside of your marriage, you've distorted the image of God that we should have. By saying, in, a, in effect, through your actions, God is unfaithful. He's unreliable. He doesn't truly love his bride. Marriage is God's symbol for his faithfulness. Let us not mar that symbol and thus distort onlookers' understanding of our kind of God. Our God is faithful. He's committed, and he loves his bride. Thirdly, 
Adultery rejects the idea that God knows how to best satisfy your needs and desires. Let me just be clear. This is God's good and perfect design for love. Lifelong, unbroken, monogamous marriage. That's God's good and perfect design for love. Look at Proverbs chapter 5, verse 18 and 19. Let your fountain be blessed. This is Solomon speaking to his son. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of what? Your youth. That wife you've had for a long time, she's still for you. She's a lovely deer, graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Always. There's not a time where it's like, oh, we just fell apart. Always. That's God's good and perfect design for love. To stray from that because you're quote-unquote unhappy. Or maybe you really are unhappy. You just grew apart. Listen to me, that is just rejecting that God knows best for you and your needs and your desires. Please hear me. Trust his plan. It is so much better than yours. It is so much better than yours. And not only is it God honoring, but it's actually good for you. Like genuinely beneficial for you. Please hear that. God didn't make that plan just because he's some control freak. He made that plan because he knows what's best for you. He loves you. So these are three reasons why God is so clear about the sin of marital unfaithfulness, and he takes it so seriously. Now, all that said, it's likely, statistically speaking, that adultery has touched your family in one way or another. Yeah, that's true. Statistically speaking, it's that prevalent. So knowing that, I, I want to give a warning to the one who is contemplating or toying with the idea, the possibility. If that's you, just please tune in. Maybe things at home aren't great. That's a very real possibility for a lot of marriages. Things at home aren't great. You haven't connected in a long time. And so you, you've maybe started to think about that coworker or that person at the gym, connecting with them, giving a lot of time thinking about them. If you think that there is any possible way that that will turn out good in the end, in love, I must say, you are not thinking clearly. You are not thinking clearly. Heed the warning in God's word in Proverbs chapter 6. Just hear this, please. I beg you. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor, and his disgrace will not be wiped away. To the one who's already been unfaithful, I want you to hear about the grace of God, the love of God that wipes away every sin, every kind of sin to those who put their faith in him. No matter what shame you might be walking with, no matter what guilt might be 
pressing down on you. Jesus says, take my yoke, take my burden. It is light. And he means even with that. But I must say that if that is you, you did commit adultery and you're keeping it a secret, God's word also says, confess your sins. And in fact, actually, there's a promise that comes with that. Confess your sins for he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. That means you have to talk to your spouse about it. The word is very clear, James 5, 16. Therefore, confess your sins. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. There's healing when you confess. There is. The prayer of a righteous person has great power. And it's working. So I just have to challenge you. If this is you, resist the temptation to think that you're protecting them from being hurt. Resist that temptation. You're only trying to lie to yourself so you can get out of confessing. You're protecting yourself. You're not protecting them. This is so hard, but the Bible is so clear. And, and, it's, and it's true. You can't control how they respond. I can't promise you how they'll respond. I can promise you how God responds. And I can just encourage you to do all you can to commit your life to winning back his or her trust. And that's what we should do. Last person I want to talk to about adultery is maybe the person who's the victim, who's devastated, whose life is hurting in the wake of adultery. I just want to give you some encouragements. I personally can't begin to imagine your pain and heartbreak, sense of betrayal and anger. But what I can do is point you to Christ. Whether your pain is physical emotional, relational, and maybe it's mixed into all of that. Please hear me that he sees you. Isn't that amazing? Our God, who's got so much going on, sees you. He sympathizes. And that's not a fake sympathy. He came down just so he could know what your life would be like. He loves you. He sees you, sympathizes, and he even weeps for and with you. So run to Christ find healing in him. This is the first S word as we walk through this text, sin, the sin of adultery. The second word, though, is symptom. You see, adultery isn't just a sin. It is, but it's also a symptom of a deeper sin. Verse 28. So he just said, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. Verse 28. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent, that's pre-adultery, if you look at her with lustful intent, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. See, adultery is sin, but it's also a side effect, a symptom from a sin that goes much deeper under the skin. Notice two things as we look here at verse 28. First, who he's speaking to. Everyone who looks at a woman lustfully with lustful intent. He is speaking to and about the one who's lusting, not the one who's being lusted after. Okay, I don't want to belabor this point, but I think it's worth noting. The Bible does talk a lot in a lot of other places about being people of modesty. To not dress provocatively. To not make our brothers or sisters stumble. There's a lot in the 
in the book about that. But here, it talks about the one who looks, not the one who tempts. It's speaking to the one who consumes, not the one who lures. It's talking to the one who has eyes, not the beauty. Okay, man, maybe you maybe have both, I don't know. But it's talking to the person who would lust, not the one who would entice lust. So we, we can pull some lessons from that. Firstly, we live in an evil world. That's not changing. Until Christ comes back, it'll always be this evil. So we have a responsibility to control ourselves, right? He's speaking to the one who would fall into the temptation. So we shouldn't see ourselves as victims here, right? Feeling bad for ourselves because there's just so much temptation that we have no chance. Now there's a commandment to you. There are action steps for you. Can I just say bluntly, that might be most helpful. Your sin is your fault. Your sin is your fault. My sin is my fault. It's not her fault. It's not his fault. It's not the phone's fault. We always have a choice, and God speaks to us that we ought to, through the power of the Holy Spirit, control ourselves. First, notice who he's speaking to. Secondly, though, notice the type of sin that he's addressing. Do you notice that? It's no longer an external act. It's an internal act. It's talking about the intent of one's heart. So this doesn't only apply to married people anymore. Single people, holler. Talking to you too. It's true. This isn't only talking to married people cheating. Do you have a human heart? Show of hands, who has a human heart? This is talking to you. It says everyone, the heart that is drawn to watching pornography, the heart that's prone to daydreaming and fantasizing, this is speaking to the heart that prompts dating couples to cross that line before marriage. This is speaking to all of us because all of us have a corrupt heart. And to that point, did you know that Jesus cares more to change that heart of yours than to change your outward actions. That's true. He cares more about doing something in your heart than he does about doing something in your deeds. He wants your heart. He wants your heart. He doesn't want you to be some whitewashed tomb that looks good on the outside. Why? Why would he care more about my heart than about me not cheating on my wife? What's the strategy there? Well, it's because he knows who's in charge. The heart or the hands. He knows who's in charge. He knows what leads to real change. I had to, my first service started, I sat down and talked to my history buff friend. This is Mandy Crawford. And I said, okay, I need something from you. Give me a time in history where there was a war where one person, anyway, I don't have to describe it. Let me tell you what she told me. Did you know, because I didn't, that in World War II, the Nazis took control over France, control over, control over France by capturing Paris. You get the heart of the country, you get the country. You get control over the hub, 
The whole wheel is under your control. Jesus knows who's in charge. He cares more to do something in here because he knows the hands follow. He wants to penetrate the capital in you so that you would follow suit. The rest of your body would follow suit. He cares more about your heart. So are you not winning the war for holiness? Maybe you're in the middle of it and you're like, man, I am honestly getting more L's than I am W's. I am, I am not doing great here at fighting for holiness. Maybe it's that your strategy is only attacking, attacking the symptoms. Maybe your strategy is only attacking the symptoms. Let me tell you, you need to love Jesus. It comes from the heart. Matthew 12, just a few chapters later, we see in verse 34, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees who had exactly this problem. They thought they could just figure out and fix all the symptoms. And he says, you brought of vipers. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Please hear me. If you're losing this battle for holiness, quit attacking the symptoms. Maybe not. Practical guardrails are helpful. But at the end of the day, it comes down to you need your heart to love Jesus. Love Jesus more than you love that thing. Now, we do need to go back to verse 28 before we move on to the next two verses and apply this to the modern obsession and indulgence of pornography because that's what this is really talking about. So many see pornography as an acceptable alternative to physically cheating. If you're watching it and you're hiding it from your spouse, your significant other, please hear Jesus' words. It's all the same. You've committed adultery. You are committing adultery. It's not an acceptable alternative. Maybe you're the spouse and you know that they're watching it. You know and you give permission to it so that he, quote unquote, doesn't really cheat. This keeps him reined in a little bit so he doesn't actually go out and cheat on me. That happens. Please hear me. Firstly, if he's truly a man, he is absolutely capable of loving only you and controlling himself. You give him too much slack. Hold him to that. Hold him to that. Through the Holy Spirit, we can conquer, we can mortify our sin. Maybe you're single and you're just trying to convince yourself that it's not as bad because you're not cheating on a person. Paul says that if you burn with lust, get married. Why would he say that? Because marriage is the only biblical way to scratch that itch. So it's not any better just because you're not cheating on a person. God calls us to holiness unto himself first. We have to be clear here, whether you're married or you're single, whether you're watching it alone or together, whether you've been told it's okay or you haven't, Christ gives no room for it. He calls us, please hear me, he calls us to circumcise our hearts, to commit to sexual purity, and to worship to him. Okay, the last one, I'm going to go quick. So we talked about the sin of adultery and ultimately how it's really a symptom of a deeper Now, 
Let's talk about strategy. Let's talk about the strategy. What can we and what should we do to fight these two sins, adultery and the deeper one of lust? That's where verses 29 and 30 come in. A successful strategy to kill sexual sin includes two things. Two things that these two verses mention. Firstly, extreme measures. I'm even, I alliterated the three points. These these two start with E. Anyway. (laughs) How do you kill sexual sin? Two things. Extreme measures. Extreme measures. Notice what he says here. If your right eye causes you to sin, what do you do? Tear it out. Throw it away. And verse 30, if your right hand causes you to sin, what do you do? Cut it off and throw it away. If you want to conquer sexual impurity and sexual sin, you must take extreme measures. So if you're here just saying, I'll just pray more, I'll read the Bible more, that's all I need to do. That's great, and you should do that. But if that's your only strategy, that is not noble, that is not holy, that is foolish. I'll give you a personal example. I, I know the dangers of this thing. I know the dangers of this thing, and, and, and even more than that, I know what's at stake if I fall into that kind of sin. Me as a husband, me as a father, me as a pastor. I'm not playing that game. So I'm a Pharisee about this. And so this isn't, this is really just so you might consider if you need to do what I'm doing. All social media is blocked on this phone. Some people are like, did you see on Facebook? I was like, I haven't been on social media in days. I've only got 10 minutes allowed on my, la- on my laptop, and then it shuts it off. I'm locked out of social media until the next day. 10 minutes is what I've got. The only way I can access it again is if Sarah types in her password. I've got no apps for social media on my phone. My app store is locked. I can't download an app. I can't even delete an app without Sarah typing her password in. Now you might be thinking, well, that's so inconvenient. You're right, it is very inconvenient. You'd say, what a hassle. There's no way I can do that. You know, it absolutely is a hassle. It totally is inconvenient. But you know what? You can have convenience. I'll take inconvenience and a happy marriage seven days a week. You'd say, well, that's legalistic, Isaac. I'm not telling you to do it. You can call it what you want. Call it legalistic. I call it extreme measures like plucking out my eye and cutting off my hand. I call it extreme measures so that I can love Jesus and I can love Sarah the best I know how. God calls us to be set apart. This applies to our phone use. Please hear that. That's not like some extra category. God calls us to be set apart even with our phones. He didn't promise that it would be easy or convenient. He promised that it would be worth it. I love this quote from Thomas Brooks. He says, the gospel puts people upon very hard service. I think we just forget that. We're just like, no, it's supposed to be easy. No. Hear Thomas Brooks' words. The gospel puts people upon very hard service, upon very difficult work. Pulling out a right eye, cutting off a right hand, offering up an Isaac, throwing overboard a Jonah. Herod gladly heard John the Baptist until it came to touch his Herodias. And then off goes John's head. As the disciples say, 
This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? Please hear me. Being a Christ follower is hard work, but it's a worthy cause. Second thing we need, and this is the last one, we not only need extreme measures, but we need an eternal perspective. There's the extreme measures part, but the second part of both verses, for it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. It says that both times. We not only need extreme measures, we need an eternal perspective. Did you know that all of our sins, especially the ones that destroy your life, we're like, yeah, I think I'm going to do that today. All of our sins are from a very short-term mindset, a right-now desire. We fall into sexual sin because of the thrill of the moment. Christian, we are called to have an eternal mindset, a long-term vision. We set aside fleeting desires, momentary pleasures. We aren't swayed by temporary inconveniences. We look down the tunnel of time to the end of our life. Christians see the reality of hell for unanswered sins. That is not a joke. So we want to make every action today in light of eternity. That's our strategy. So I'll be quick in the conclusion. If, if you're struggling with shame and guilt from the past, I want to just say it again. Jesus is gracious, he's kind, and he's a loving Savior. He is the only way that you might find forgiveness and cleansing to what you've tarnished. Christ can do that. And if you're struggling with temptation in the present right now, let me just say to you, hear his words. The problem goes much deeper than your skin. I just call you to surrender your heart to Christ today. Plead for him to work in it. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. If you live in or near Bethany, Missouri, we invite you to join us for our worship services held on Sunday morning and Sunday evenings, as well as our various activities on Wednesday nights. For more information on how you can get involved, visit our website at bethanyibc.com.